0: Well, again, uh, welcome to Grace, everyone. So glad we can be together. And if uh, you're tuning in online, thanks for tuning in. And if you're over at Montrose, glad that we can be together in that way. And uh, excited to continue the conversation in this series. We've been uh, in a series called, What Does God Actually Want? And uh, maybe you've even asked that question before. What does God actually want for me? And uh, we've been walking through a lot of the life of Jesus over the past year, and we've been specifically dialed in to a teaching moment he's been having that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, this is uh, what we probably perceive to be something he would talk about often. Uh, Probably didn't just happen one time, but the kinds of things he would say when he was preaching and going to towns and villages. And so uh, what we've been dialing into this section of of his teaching is really uh, how he's dealing with the preconceived ideas that people have about what God wants. And and we all have that. We all have kind of ideas and beliefs about what God wants from us. But uh, for the people Jesus was speaking to, they were growing up in a Jewish culture. And so if you ever want to know what that culture felt like, uh, just read the first half of your Bible. We call it the Old Testament. They just called it uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jewish Bible. And uh, that was how they lived their life. It was how they understood their religion. It was how they understood their culture, their politics, their promises, everything. And uh, very much so, how they interact with God or what they perceived God wanted from them. And so uh, he's dealing with a lot of kind of common thoughts of the day that came from their understanding of the Jewish law, specifically what we call the Ten Commandments. And so when Jesus is talking to everyone about this, we, he says this. We were covering this in Matthew 5.17. He starts by saying, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No. I came to accomplish their purpose. So that's a little bit of the tone here. People are wondering how to navigate uh, the the law that God had given them in their time and day. And so there's all sorts of viewpoints on the spectrum. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to reveal the heart of God. I'm here to reveal what God really means when he said this. And I'm also here to fulfill it. I'm here to accomplish it. And we talked about this in our first week. We said that what the law is designed to do is it's there to show us what true love is and to expose the reality of our relationships. That's what it does is it shows us, it teaches us what love is and then it exposes, right, where in our own life and in our own relationships that needs to be Redeemed. It needs to be brought back into alignment with God's heart and his mind. But people miss God's heart and his mind. And so Jesus is beginning to unpack several uh, different ways that they had missed God's heart. Last week we talked about murder. So if you want to go back and listen to that one, uh, hop on our app or online on YouTube, on the website, and uh, catch up on this conversation. And Jesus has got a whole bunch of other uh, great topics coming down the line. And I'll just warn you today, uh, where we're going today is we're gonna be talking about adultery. And so uh, we are going to be covering in length topics regarding sex and sexuality. And so uh, maybe if you have young kids and uh, services this weekend, just giving you a heads up, it's going to be a little PG-13. And this is a great time for me to introduce you to our Power Kids ministry. You can just head out the doors and uh, check them in, and they can get some age-appropriate teaching about uh, making Jesus make sense. And they can be led and loved by a child care worker who's trained and background checked. And I'm trying to buy you time so that if you want to do that, this can be a great Weekend for you. Also, um, I know that this conversation can um, bring up. A, like it can be triggering to us, right? It can bring up a lot of past hurt or failure. It can bring up present struggles, and um, I'm aware of that, and I, I want to be sensitive to that. But the reality is, is like Jesus is going here. We're not just going here because we want to stir the pot. Um, This is just the next part and I drew the short straw and so here we are this weekend talking about it and um, this is something that we're going to go to and I, I hope that we can lead us to a place in the end where we see how God wants to redeem us. And redeem this conversation for his purposes and for his glory. And so uh, that's where we're going this weekend. And I think it's going to be great uh, for all of us. No matter where you're at today, I think, I think this message has something in it for you. Uh, whether you're single, or dating, or engaged, or married, or divorced, or a virgin, or not a virgin, or an addict, or you name it that there is something uh, here that I think God wants to impress upon you, and uh, we're going to try to dial into that today. So this is kind of what our path looks like. We're going to talk about some beliefs we have about sex, or at least I grew up having about sex. We're also going to talk about why God actually cares about it, right? Like why is this a topic that he's bringing up? Maybe you've never thought about that before, but God does care about sex, and we're going to talk about why. And then we're going to look at what Jesus says About sex, He doesn't talk about it just once. It comes up several times, and so we'll kind of try to unpack his heart and intent behind that. And then lastly, we'll talk about how to experience real redemption in this area of our lives, in our sexuality, because that's what God wants to do. And that's where I want to lead us to and leave us at the end of this time. And so let's uh, go to where Jesus goes. This is where we pick up the, the conversation. He says, You've heard the commandment that says, You must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you or your whole body to be thrown into hell. There's a lot there. There's adultery and lust and hell and you're like just take a deep breath for one second, all right? It's going to be okay. Um, And in fact, I want to just be real with you for a second, because I do not come to this conversation with a clean slate. And I thought it'd be helpful if I could just share with you uh, a mistake I made when I was in high school. So maybe that'll uh, kind of level the playing field a little bit. So when I was in high school, uh, I didn't really date very much, um, but I did know a few girls uh, that I had met here and there, and we would text every now and then. And as I got into high school, I was starting to be able to drive, and uh, I wasn't a follower of Jesus yet. And so uh, Kind of my greatest goal in life would have been to uh, a girl to like me. And uh, there was this one girl I was texting with one summer. And, um, you know, it was a connection that was happening. But there was also boundaries that were being pushed. And uh, we had kind of created in our heads... Uh, and a, uh, a situation we were going to create for ourselves where we knew her parents were going to be gone and we knew my parents were going to be gone. And so we had kind of planned it all up and it was like, I'm going to come over on this day and my parents will know, your parents will know. And so I drove over that day. I remember parking on the street and I walked up to her house. I'd actually never been to her house before. And I, uh, I knocked on the door and uh, she kind of rushed me into the house. And I was like, oh, man, is like everything okay? What's going on? And she goes, oh, yeah, it's fine. Uh, my grandparents just live across the street. And I kind of like looked out the window. There's like this big glass window. And I was like, okay, okay. And she's like, yeah, my grandpa's like always looking out the window. Like it, I just I was trying to make sure he didn't see you. Well, sure enough, like 60 seconds later, we get a phone call from Grandpa. And he's like, uh, hey, uh, I thought I saw someone at the door. Like, did, did they go away? Did they come in? She's like, she lied to him. He's like, oh, no, Grandpa, it was just someone at the door. They, they left, and, and they're not here anymore. Okay, love you, sweetie, bye. So I'm a little nervous now. But we, uh, we turn on a movie because we had planned to watch a movie together and other things. And uh, it was not going well. We'll just spare you the details. But then Grandpa calls again. Grandpa calls again, and he's like, I'm a little concerned because, like, I see this car parked out on the street. And, you know, I'm just going to come over. I'm going to come over and check on you. And she's like, no, Grandpa, you don't need to come over. It's fine. Kind of hangs up the phone. She's like, you got to leave. And I'm like, I want to leave. Like, what is going on right now? And I was like, she's like, you can't go out the front door. I was like, I don't want to go out the front door. Like, what if your grandpa has a gun? And uh, she's like, you need to go out the back. I was like, how do I get out the back? She's like, well, we don't have a back door, but we have a side door." And I was like, okay. She's like, so my grandpa's probably gonna see you. And I was like, that sucks. She's like, it's all we've got. And I was like, well, what do I do when I get to the backyard? And she's like, well, it's fenced in, so you're gonna have to hop the fence. I'm like, I'm gonna have to hop a fence. He's like, yeah. So I'm like in the kitchen at the door and I'm like, please, grandpa, don't shoot me. And I just book it and run out the back and jump the fence and go get in my car and drive off. And we never talk about it ever again. (laughs) you can laugh at that like you're allowed to laugh at this i know it's church um but this was just like the most embarrassing like i thought i was going to get busted i was already in a place i shouldn't have been in i was being secretive and honestly that's how I, i think we approach this conversation about sex is we're like can i find the nearest door and run out the back and jump the fence and never talk to you about this ever again and um I think we all feel that way in different ways, especially if, like, you have to come up here and share your biggest mistake from high school. Um, we, we all feel that kind of angst. We, there's that secrecy. There's, there's, like, embarrassment. And what I think's so harmful about that is God doesn't want us to think about it that way at all. He, he actually wants to meet us in the complexity and in the mess and even in the fear and confusion of all that. But our natural tendency is to run, to jump the fence, to not talk about it. And um, I think we're gonna see this week he actually uh, has something different that is intended for us that he, he wants from us and uh, how he wants to meet us in this conversation. Maybe you're like me and uh, you, you can relate to that. I, I think that we've never really had in our lives and in our culture a, uh, uh, been provided a complete and healthy perspective on sex. I don't think there's a lot of places I can look at my life and I would assume probably in your own life where you feel like you're seeing the complete and healthy worldview and perspective and understanding about what sex is about. Um, you can look in our culture. You can kind of look at the secular culture. And I think that um, you can even look in the, the church or like Christian culture, kind of like what the, the Christianity has been saying over the past several years. And I think in both of those areas, both of those arenas, we're seeing the same thing happen. We're seeing that sex has been oversimplified. We're seeing that something very complex and something very messy has been oversimplified in two ways. Let's take the secular culture uh, kind of here for a minute. I think that the overtone, kind of the the oversimplification that the secular culture gives us is that sex is about me. Sex is about me. And you see this in different ways. We might not say that explicitly, but there's a lot of language around personal choice, around kind of what fits you. Uh, There's a lot of language about being sexually compatible and finding someone who's compatible with you. There's a, a lot of language, too, around it being a physical need. right? It's a physical need. It's like food. And so you're hungry you, and you need sex. And so I need to find someone. You need sex. I need sex. And if it's we're being responsible, if we're being consensual, it's really about getting that need met. It's about my need. And even just how I would view sex and what the purpose of it is for is for my enjoyment. It's for my pleasure. It's what I want out of it. And so that seems to be like the the overtone, like as I try to pick up some of those messages and unpack the ones I've picked up along the way from culture, I see that overarching sense of like it's really just about me, my need, my choices, what seems satisfying to me. And and oftentimes, I'm all I think about. There's an oversimplification that happens in Christianity though too, and and you've seen this play out where uh, sex isn't about me, but actually sex is about purity, Sex is about purity. And so uh, the narrative goes like this, that um, actually sex is for marriage, which it is, uh, but because sex is for marriage, you have to save sex, you have to be a virgin uh, until you get married, and then actually when you get married, sex will be incredible. You can now finally enjoy it. You need to hate sex when you're not married, but you need to love it when you get married. And somehow you got to flip that switch. You have to feel all the shame in the world while you're dating and engaged. You're like, I have these feelings, and it's like, oh, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. But then you're married, and it's just supposed to work. And I don't know about you, but like a lot of marriages deal with this. My marriage has dealt with this. And it's not as easy as just saying like, hey, because you're a virgin, now all of a sudden you're supposed to know how to do this. And there's so many other things that get unanswered. So what if, what if I can't or I don't save myself? Now all of a sudden I'm destined for like failure the rest of my life. I remember uh, there'd be some circles where, the illustration was a rose that would be passed around, and it would get passed from person to person to person, and it would get back up to the speaker, and the rose would have all the petals, you know, falling off. It would be all mangled and say, do you want this rose? No, you don't want this rose. And it was this idea that, you know, you're, you're damaged goods. You're no good any now. Nobody wants you. And we had no idea where to place sexual desire outside of marriage. There was a lot of shame in that messaging, if you couldn't, if you didn't, if you something happened in your marriage, and there was a lot of silence too. Like it was oversimplified. Just stay pure. Just save it for marriage. Even though that's, that's true, God designed sex for marriage, but it became oversimplified and so much more got left out. I think that we need a better starting point. I know that we need a better starting point. And I think the place that we have to go, not seeing sex as uh, it's about me, Not seeing sex as it's about purity, but actually seeing that sex is about God. Sex is about God. And that may seem a little weird at first, but I'm sure it's going to get even weirder today. Um, But God created our sexuality, right? In the first pages of the Bible, we see this. You go to Genesis 1 and 2, and you see that God created us in his image. It says he created us in his likeness. And you want to know how he displays his likeness in us? It says he created us as male and female. He's like, your, your gender, like the fact that you have, like, sexual reproductivity, like, that's something I gave you. And he says that, he, he blesses them, and he says, you know what you should do? You should be fruitful and multiply. He, he blesses sex. And then it says later in Genesis 2 that the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So there's nudity, there's blessing of sex, it's endorsed, there's gender and differences, and that's all in the first few pages of the Bible. Maybe you've missed that, but like, it's right there. And it's all throughout the, the narrative of Scripture, of the Bible, that God created our sexuality, and it's actually about Him. We were made in His image. You, you being human means that you are a sexual being, Human sexuality is not inherently opposed to God. He's not like, how did that get in there? How did that happen? How did you figure that out? Like, God doesn't just know about sex. He invented it. <laughs> he knows a lot about it. He created it, and he created it with purpose. He endorsed it. He blesses it. And he says that sex and our sexuality has something to do with him. That's a part of us being made in his image. He's like, just so you know, this is about me. This is ultimately about me. And I'm very aware of the fact that you guys are sexual beings. So where do we take that? I think we have to start there because, again, if we pick up one of those other narratives or if we we think we're starting here but we still land in the same places that either the purity narrative or the self-narrative have led us, we're going to miss out on really what God wants us to experience through this. And so we have to play this out a little further and say that our sexuality and our spirituality are integrated. These aren't isolated topics. You can't compartmentalize these parts of your life. God made you, yes, with a soul. You are a spiritual being. You will live for eternity with him or apart from him. You are going to live for eternity because you have a soul, but you're also, you have a body. (laughs) And God made that. He He created that. He knows your biology he designed it. And so we, we can't answer questions about our sexuality and isolation from God. They're very much a part of the same question. And I think that if you've, if you've never experienced this before, maybe you've kind of landed here, if you want to grow closer to God, if you want to become closer to Jesus as you walk with him, your sexuality is going to come up at some point. That's how it was for me. I, I told you I, I wasn't really, I wasn't following Jesus uh, in high school and for most of my life. But in high school, God did something radical and, and I began to understand the gospel and began to follow him. And this was one of the first things that God began to show me he wanted to redeem in my life. He wanted, he wanted to redeem how the culture and, and how uh, the purity narrative had shaped my mind about sexuality. He especially did that through pornography like, one of the lies I began to believe about pornography was, like, this only affects me. Right? It's, a, it's about me. That was kind of how my mind began to think about uh, pornography. You know, no one else has to know about this. It's just something that affects me it doesn't affect anyone else. My spirituality and my sexuality weren't integrated. I also began to believe that uh, pornography, would, the struggle with that would go away when I got married. And that was believing the purity narrative, right? That like, actually, if we just uh, get past all the stuff that doesn't make any sense and we get to the thing we're supposed to be at, then it'll all just—all the bad stuff will just go away. And that was a lie. And so I had to begin to let God to redeem this. Hey, this actually does affect our relationship. It doesn't just affect your brain. It doesn't just rewire you. It doesn't just do something chemically in you. It also affects your, your walk with me. This is a spiritual decision, and hey, um, as you learn to love your wife, this, this struggle isn't going to go away because it isn't actually just about sex. There's so much more, there's so much more hurt and baggage behind this and you're going to have to learn to confess this to her. You're going to have to learn to get help. You're going to have to learn how to fight. It's not going to just get easy. And I had to begin to learn the truth about, uh, about that part of my life. Sex is about God, ultimately, and our our sexuality and our spirituality, they're they're actually integrated. We can't separate those things, and we have to begin to pinpoint where those lies are, because they're a big part of God growing us and and forming us more into his image, which is what we were made for. Now, I think there's a a helpful way for us to understand this, and I actually have gotten this phrase from someone else, but the gospel— is written within your sexuality. This this is a phrase, kind of a quote I've picked up from Dr. Julie Slattery. If you don't know Julie Slattery, she has uh, a ministry called Authentic Intimacy and has written several incredible books on this topic and on redeeming God's vision for sexuality. And uh, I would encourage you to check that out. But uh, me and Sarah are part of a marriage group that meets in her home, and so she tells us this stuff all the time. And this has been so good that like, hey, this isn't just some weird thing that doesn't relate to God, but actually, like, it has such a divine purpose. It has such an important purpose in us understanding God. The gospel is written within your sexuality. We need, we need to explain what the gospel is. The gospel is that God wants a loving relationship, a loving partnership with you, with me, for now and for all eternity. And the other part of that story, too, is that sin and brokenness keep us from experiencing that reality of partnership, of relationship with him. And so Jesus comes. Jesus comes to redeem the brokenness in our life, and he comes to bring us back into right relationship with God. Do you see how our sexuality is such a part of that? Like God wants to have a close covenant relationship with you, intimate knowing, partnership for all of life. He wants to be fully committed to you and for you to be fully committed to him. It's a a metaphor of his covenant love for us. Choosing to love even when it costs. That's what Jesus ultimately did, right? That's what God does over and over again is that even when it costs him, he chooses his people, even when they wander, even when they're not faithful, he chooses them and he keeps chasing them and he keeps chasing them. And it's the same thing with Our sexuality, like even in marriage, right? Like, sex isn't just uh, made that, like, okay, you're married and and you have to do this. Like, God's saying that, like, I don't want just a relationship with you or a commitment to you. I want you to enjoy this. (laughs) That's why I gave you sex. Like, I want you to know that you can enjoy me. I want you to know that ultimately, all that's embedded underneath this is it's pointing to the reality that you were made to intimately know me. That's what it means when we say that the gospel's written in your sexuality. It's the metaphor that gets played over and over again in the Bible. It's the metaphor that helps us understand how committed and how deep his love is for us. And Jesus knows this. And Jesus is trying to bring us back to that starting point. And he knows that it's a struggle in the day. And so when we come to this passage, we have to like, Get our own preconceived ideas out of the way, because that's what Jesus is trying to do with the people listening to him. And we have to see his compassion. We have to see his purpose, what he's trying to redeem and rescue. And so let's read back through that at what Jesus says. He says, You have heard the commandment that you must not commit adultery. Now, here, adultery is not a sin because it involves sex. It's not like, How could you have sex? It's because of what's at stake. It's because of what sex reflects. Adultery is a big deal to God because sex is about God. It is the holy metaphor given to reflect him. There's, there's probably no uh, deeper, more human metaphor in the Bible than this. And so this is a command because it matters deeply to God. Often throughout the Bible, it'll get used as an illustration When his people begin to wander away from him, they begin to choose other loves. You begin to see that adultery becomes the language God will use when his people wander away. When they choose another God. You see that in the book of Hosea. You see that in Ezekiel 16 where it says, Yes, you are an adulterous wife who takes in strangers instead of her own husband. See, God views his people as his spouse. His wife, his bride, his covenant partner. And so sex matters to God, adultery matters to God because it's a holy metaphor for how we understand and reflect Him. And so when we abandon our covenant partner, or when we take another, or when we act as if covenant doesn't matter, then it destroys the metaphor. Because God is never unfaithful. He's never unfaithful. He's not partial. He doesn't just use you for something. And when sexuality gets turned into that, it doesn't display what God's like at all. And when we're unfaithful, we're missing out on displaying how He's faithful. It's what God wants in response. So we got to put a pin in some of this because next week Jesus, Jesus brings up divorce. And we'll, uh, I'll get to cover that one too. And we'll go there and we'll cover divorce and marriage next week. And that's, that's a lot of like how do we understand that covenant being played out. But he continues on here and he says that, I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's correcting an oversimplification. They oversimplified sex during their day in age too. They thought that the boundary was adultery. As long as you don't have physical sexual intercourse with someone you're not married to, hey, we've kept the commands. And there were people who wore that as a badge of honor. And maybe you're that way. Maybe you grew up in that purity narrative and you're like, I saved sex till marriage. Look how great I am. Or you expected something on the other end of it. And so there were people who wore that as a badge of honor. They think they, they thought they were keeping the commandment. Because they were only concerned with the physical act. And they got the commandment correct, but they missed the heart of it. And Jesus is saying it's not just about a boundary that you can't cross. It's, it's actually more than that. He actually raises the standard and shows how deep this goes into our lives. And he actually shows us that our sexuality begins at the heart. It begins at the heart. And a part of that heart is good. It reveals how we've been made to long for intimacy and how we, we should long for relationship with God. It's a part of that holy metaphor. Like, the, the desire's not bad. Like, l- let me say that. Like, the desire's not bad. If you're, like, out there and you're dating or you're engaged and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Like, you're supposed to say, like, It's good. It's good, it's not this foreign thing that made it in there. Like The reality is that God put that in your heart because he wants you to long for him and long how he wants to know you. But there's another part of our heart that gets revealed and it reveals the brokenness. It it reveals how we want to take the gift and the metaphor and use it for our own purposes. And if this is ultimately something that's supposed to help us understand who God is, It's probably why every single one of us deals with our sexuality and dealing with God at one point or another is because there's an enemy who doesn't want you to experience God's goodness and fullness. So Satan doesn't use sex against you because it's sex. Because it's such a holy metaphor, he knows he can lead you to believe that God's not trustworthy. You can't trust him with this. God will t- or, uh, Satan will take your heart and convince you that God doesn't care. It's a morally neutral issue. He's not interested. Um, Satan will begin to lie to you and tell you that you're damaged goods. He'll begin to lie to you and say this doesn't affect anyone or no one could handle this. You can't talk about this. He'll begin to heap on shame. He'll use it in ways that are abusive and manipulative. And so sex will get distorted. And it, will, it won't look anything like the metaphor God intended it to look like. And so there's an enemy who wants to not just destroy sex, but he wants to keep you away from God, understanding his goodness. And if our sexuality begins at the heart, then something like adultery begins at the end of a long path of other decisions, other steps of unfaithfulness, other desires misplaced, other rejections of God. It's more than just that. It's deeper than that. So a way to understand what is happening at the heart level is to say this, that we are all sexually broken. No one, like, gets out. Like, if Jesus is going to raise the standard to the heart then we all have to look at each other in this room and be like, I guess none of us are pure. See, <laughs> yeah, I guess we're not. And that's a little bit of Jesus' point. He's like, I don't want you to just think you're, you're okay because you kept some boundary. I want you to understand, like, I care about how, how deep this goes in your life. I care about it at the, the heart level. We all wander in one way or another. Jesus and God, they don't, they don't compartmentalize our, our failures and our sin, And that's true about our sexual sin as as well. And ultimately that's what I think God is wanting. He's wanting us to see that he wants to redeem that. He wants to invite us back. But Satan's going to use it in a way that makes us miss God's invitation. He's going to take pornography. He's going to take sexual immorality. He's going to take sexual abuse. And he's going to use that to keep us away from God. And we all have to wrestle through that in one way or another. He keeps going, like, what do you do with that? If we're all sexually broken, if you're, if you're raising the bar of Jesus, and now, like, none of us feel good, <laughs> like, we all feel lousy, we get it, like, we can't do it, where does he take us next? It's kind of odd. He says, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So uh, what is the deal with Jesus telling you to cut out your eye and cut off your hand? Because... Uh, why not both? Like that was my first thought. I was like, why not both, Jesus? Because I can sin with the other eye, or I can sin with the other hand. <laughs> um, remember, like this is super off-putting. It's it's it is uh, extreme. It's radical, and uh, we know he's not talking about actually cutting off our hands and eyes. How do we know that? We literally just read the verse before it that said, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's not just about the boundary. It's not just about the physical adultery. It's about something deeper. And so Jesus is saying something radical to wake us up. But remember, he is targeting our hearts. That's where he wants to do the transformation. That's where he wants to do the restoration. He's saying that if there's something that draws you away from your covenant commitment first to God, and then to your spouse if you're married, we need to remove it from our lives. He's saying that you have competing affections You have desires that want to pull you in two different ways. And you can't clench on to both of them. You can't clench on to God and then run after other gods. You can't hold on to your spouse and have this covenant commitment, but then also have these other competing affections and desires that lead you away from them. And that tension will build, right? You can't keep those two commitments. And eventually you'll break as they pull and pull and pull And Jesus is saying, hey, before you break, like before the wrong thing wins, will you do some costly surgery? Like, are you willing to lose a limb to commit yourself to the one thing that you really want? To the one thing that you really should pursue? It's showing the importance of adultery, it's showing the importance of committing ourselves one way. It's that, it's like a single eye or a single-handed commitment to God, to our spouse. It's protecting the metaphor. And Jesus is saying, you need to be willing to take radical measures to protect the metaphor. Like we, we want people to understand our Heavenly Father and His grace and His goodness and His mercy. And so we need to take the radical measures to display that. Another way I wrote it out was this, that radical measures are rarely easy, convenient, or preferable. But they're often necessary to choose a greater love. That's why this matters. It's not because if you, uh, if you discipline yourself enough, you'll never have any sexual struggles. That is not the point here. The point here is that there is always going to be competing affections in your life. There's going to be tensions, and it's going to be costly at times. Pursuing God is costly. And even as much as we want him, there's times where we really don't. (laughs) And a marriage is that way. There's times where we really want and there's times we really don't. Sex is that way. There's times we just really want it, and then there's times that, you know, we don't care. And the radical measures need to be taken even when it doesn't, like, feel good. But because of what we know, because of what we've committed to reflecting our lives with, right? Allowing God to restore that metaphor, that image in our lives. I think we need to see God's commands Less as they get it together, because it's not. None of us can get it together. We all fail at the standard, at the heart level, but it's really an invitation to his love. Like a faithful spouse who says no to other loves so they can fully give themselves to their spouse, to one person. And he's also showing the life and death consequences of this, right? That's that's why hell comes up. Like, make the right commitment now, because eventually we give way. And it's not just sexual sin, it's all sin. All sin leads us to brokenness. It leads us to emptiness. It leads us to sadness and death and hell, separation from God. It's, it's not this like, and I'm going to send you to hell if you don't get it together. It's the natural outcome of never making the costly decision with God or your, your spouse. I think that the radical measures, too, actually are what give our heart space to grow. At least that's what I've recognized in my own life. When I take those things out that are pulling me away and I begin to commit myself more and more to him, actually my heart's in a place where he can begin to do some real work. It's a lot harder to do heart change or to allow God to do heart change than it is to just discipline yourself. But the radical measures lead to heart change. And they lead to more. They lead to life. But it's hard and it costs a lot. But that's what God wants. That He wants to preserve this metaphor. He wants your heart. Now I told you I I wanted to share with you a little bit more how to redeem this in your own life. But I want to make sure that we understand this isn't just something Jesus taught. Jesus didn't just like go to the town and be like, hey, I'm going to bring up sex. See you guys later. (laughs) <laughs> like, this is something that he had to live out. And it's something that, uh, you know, when I told you about how I hopped the fence and ran away, I never wanted to talk about it ever again until I had to preach a sermon about sex. <laughs> um, it's something I avoided. It's something we often don't invite God into. We don't know how to. And I, I put off the work of God wanting to heal and, and redeem and Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to redeem broken sexuality. I want to show you a moment where Jesus interacts with a woman who's been caught in adultery. It's actually in John eight one through eleven. We don't have time to look at it now, but I can I can just give you the overview. Jesus is teaching, and and a woman's caught in adultery, and they they kind of use her to try to trap Jesus, and they bring her before him and. And say, hey, you know that the law says we're not supposed to commit adultery. And we could have her stoned to death. What do you think we should do, Jesus? They knew he was compassionate. They knew his standards were different. They wondered if they could trap him. And he knows they're trying to trick him. He knows they're trying to take advantage of her. He knows that they actually don't want good for her. They don't want good for him. And so he he finds a way to turn it around on them. And he says this. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, "All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone." He says, "All right, we'll do it your way." How many of you meet the standard? And one by one, it says they all walked away because they knew, or if they were being true, they knew that <laughs> none of us meet the standard. And whenever they're all gone, he talks to her and he says, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, here's the incredible thing about Jesus. He doesn't abolish the law. (laughs) Like sin is sin. And actually like the standard's even higher than probably I let myself off the hook at. And he says it's, it's even more complex and we're even more broken than probably we initially realized. He doesn't change the standard. Sin is sin, but grace is grace. And for as much shame or brokenness or sin there is, there's equal and more grace to cover it. And Jesus displays that with this woman caught in adultery. Neither do I, neither do I. I'm not going to cast the stone at you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the cross for you. None of us are faithful, but the one man who was faithful, whose heart never wavered, who he didn't neglect his commitment to God, he didn't use sexuality for himself he didn't create a narrative or boundaries around sexuality for his own gain but he went to the cross and he said my righteousness is going to stand in the place of yours you're, you're not your past anymore you're not your biggest mistake. You're not your current struggles. Like that's not who you are anymore. Like I redeemed you. You've been made right with God. It, people may remember those stories about you, but like it doesn't matter to God anymore because I've paid for it all. You're mine now. People see my God sees my faithfulness and you get to walk out in that story now. He wants to do that work in us, but how do we let him in? I think we need to invite God into our sexuality, and that may seem weird, but hopefully a little bit like less weird after a half hour of me talking about it. Um, <laughs> inviting God into your sexuality, He doesn't want this to be compartmentalized. He actually wants to be a part of this area of your life, even if it's messy, even if there's confusion. He wants you to invite Him into the pain the failure, the lies. He wants to break cycles of shame. He wants to break the silence and the brokenness and the emptiness and the confusion around this topic. He wants to actually manifest his grace in your life. This may be the very thing in your life that actually draws you closer to him, that makes you understand his grace is real for you. And so invite him into that. Allow him to do that. He's not asking you to get your life together overnight. He's asking you to listen to him, to let him in, to go to the next place he asks you to go, to open yourself up a little bit more. And so I'd encourage you, like, if you're looking, how do I actually begin to experience real redemption? Invite God into this. The next thing I'd encourage you to do is ask God's people to walk with you. Don't do this alone. If you're married, this starts with your spouse. You have a commitment. You have to let them in. This may mean bringing in a friend. It may mean bringing in a counselor. That was I've gone to counseling for years trying to continue to unpack this, understand that it's not just the the lies I've believed in my head, understand the pain and the backstory behind it, understand the the deeper things in my heart God wants to transform, not just to get me to stop. It may be inviting our church into it. Like us as pastors we want to help in this. We have women and men leading in our church who want to walk with you through this. That may be in a life group that may be in another community of people who care about your discipleship where we can talk about that and we can share this with one another. There's resources to help with this. Uh, Julie's are are great. Go check those out. There's even more. But uh, invite god's people to walk with you in this don't don't do it alone and then the last thing i'd encourage you to do is to focus on sexual integrity or displaying the gospel metaphor it's not about making all your past wrongs right it's not about being pure (laughs) none of us are all of us in this room are sexually impure Jesus is the only one who makes us pure. It's by what he has done that we have any footing to say that, like, we are right with God now. But there's still the metaphor. And what does it look like today to preserve that metaphor, to display it? Because sexual wholeness involves more than just avoiding sin. It means, God, what are you calling me to do? That's what integrity is. Integrity is the thing that I believe actually being followed through in my life. And what we believe about God, that, that doesn't mean that we can't ever make mistakes. Integrity is less about purity. Oh, hey, there's one slight imperfection. It's more about, is the stable? A, a, a building that needs to be reinforced because of its integrity can be. it can be redeemed, it can be restored, it can be made whole again. That's what God wants to do. He wants to redeem you. He wants to build that integrity. He wants you to display His love to the world around you. He wants you to understand the purpose of your sexuality. Like I said at the beginning, I know that this is a very complex topic, and um, we could talk about it for like several weeks and I wish we could. We, we probably should. Like we should talk about this more outside of the services but you don't have to wait today to begin to allow God to do that healing work in you. Even though we don't have all this figured out yet and we can't cover it all today that doesn't mean you can't begin to experience his forgiving and transforming grace in your life today. And so I want to invite you into that. I want to teach you what it means to invite God into this area of your life. And so I'm going to invite the band out and I'm just going to ask that we would take a minute and settle in close our eyes, bow our heads and if you would allow me to just guide you in some prayer. Father, I thank you that we can come to you at all times and in all places of our life. You're not afraid to deal with the hard stuff. I know that every person in this room and every person listening um, is dealing with some form of sexual brokenness. Like we have this in an area of our life somewhere, somewhere, God. And Lord, maybe it's been kept at bay, it's been kept secret. We've never let you in. But God, right now I ask that you would just bring to mind something you want us to let you in on part of our heart, a part of our life, a part of our story that has been off limits for a while. Bring to mind, for your purposes, something that you want to do a work in. And God, as as they wrestle through that and the pain is brought back up of that failure, that desire, whatever it is, God, would you help them to see you, to, to really see who you are? Like the woman who was caught in adultery, how she saw you. And she, did, she didn't see judgment in the eyes of Jesus. She saw compassion. And God, would you speak the words over each of us? Neither do I. You don't cast the stone. And would you just flood us with your compassion and your grace in this area, God, and we let you in? Help us to to know what you really want us to know about your true character, God. And as you hold us there, God, and as you love us there, even in our worst and even in our messiest moments, God, you don't leave. And you hold us tighter. And I ask that you would speak to us, God, and give us a vision for how our story and our sexuality and even our pain can elevate you. And it can elevate your grace. And it wouldn't be out of fear. We'd see the love in your eyes to walk with us Lord I pray that you would also bring to mind Lord someone who is safe someone who is safe to talk to about this we cannot bear this on our own Lord give us someone to go to this week they could walk with us, God. Someone who will pray for us. Someone who will point us to who you are. Someone who won't push us away in shame and rejection. Someone who will embrace us the way you do and point us to your truth and tangibly express your mercy in our lives. God, I believe you can do a transforming work even now. You don't expect to get us to get our act together to let you in. Help us to do that increasingly, to walk with you day by day, even in these difficult areas. We love you in Jesus' name.